you know, it's uh, holidays and sometimes we're down a little bit in attendance. And uh, I'm going to share with you a little something that Brother Wesley and I talked about this morning. But I'm going to change the, I'm going to change the, change it just a little bit, Brother Wesley, because I don't think I can use it exactly there. But whether there, this, whether the shepherd has one sheep or a hundred sheep, the sheep still need to be fed. Amen. Amen. How's that? That better? Okay. <laughs> he gave me the analogy with pigs, and I figured I just didn't want to use that one. So. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I'm sitting there thinking, and if you don't give me just a second to share with you, I appreciate gifted people, musicians, for instance. I'm sitting there listening to LaVanda play. I'm thinking, how is she making her hands do two different things, right? You're thinking about that? And I think about all musicians, and I think, and I think well, well, you know, God gave us two hands, and they're independent. You know, a carpenter, you hold a nail and drive it with a hammer. But it's just the gift of being able to use your hands like that. I'm thinking, I don't think my hands would do that, you know. But I appreciate that and, and certainly enjoy the choir and enjoy the singing and enjoy the, the worship. So um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we'll, we're going to finish up in John 17. The last two Sundays that, that I have preached on Sunday morning, we've been in John 17 working through that chapter. And we're going to finish it up this, this evening. It's kind of a series where Jesus did some praying, some specific praying. And we'll be in, in um, verses 20 through 26 this morning out of John 17. So if you have your Bibles, and certainly open that up there. I titled this section of the prayer, and to me, when you look at this whole chapter, you know, it's Jesus praying out loud. Jesus praying where disciples could hear him. Jesus praying where other people could hear him praying because there was specific things that he was praying for that he wanted them to know about. And so it, it's things because down the road, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, people are going to know the, what he was praying for. And that's what this, this chapter talks about. And so praying, the title of the message is Praying for God to be Glorified. And when I studied this passage, you know, I try to look at that and see where, where, where does that go. And to me, Jesus is praying and specifically for God to be glorified. And we look at that throughout the whole chapter. You look at that's what he was praying for. That was his motive for the pray and the praying out loud. In John 17, Jesus prayed three different specific things now. And we're going to look at the third one. And, you know, in the first time we talked to you in verses 1 through 5, he prayed for himself. And we talked about the importance of praying for yourself. We talked about how it's not selfish to pray for yourself. How important it is to, to get yourself cleansed up and get yourself ready <laughs> to pray for other people and other things. You need to be ready to pray. You need to, to make sure that you're in tune with heaven, that you're in tune with God when you intercede on somebody else's behalf. And it's important to intercede on somebody else's behalf, but it's just as important to pray for yourself. And we saw that in verses 1 through 5 where Jesus was praying for himself. He also, in verses 6 through 19, and we looked at that last week, he prayed for the disciples. He prayed for the disciples who were present with him. He prayed for the disciples who would be discipled by the disciples as they moved out forward. He prayed for the extensions of what he was talking to at that particular point. He gave some specifics about his prayer. And now in verses 20 and 20 through 26, we're going to look at, he prays for the generation of believers that will follow. That is us. That's the early church throughout the 
the current church. It's everybody that's going to be a believer from that point on. It's everybody that's going to be a witness for Jesus Christ from that point on. That's what he's going to be showing us in this passage of Scripture today. Jesus did not leave this earth and return to heaven without specifically praying for you and for me. You think about that. Isn't that important? You know, when, you're, when, you, when somebody says, I'm going to pray for you, and when they do, when somebody says, you know, we want to pray for you, and we're going to pray for you right now, how does that make you feel? When they set you aside and they pray for you because they want God to intercede on your behalf. But you think about it, Jesus Christ prayed for you to the God the Father. I mean, he's prayed specifically for all of us. All of the critical issues that he had on his mind. All of the things that were leading up to the crucifixion. And he knew what was about to take place. He still was praying for you and me. Amen. Isn't that a good thought? Jesus specifically lifted up the prayers as he focused on every believer that would follow him until the day that he returns to the church and call it home. And that's even from from now on. Jesus began his prayer in John 17 by acknowledging the primary purpose and the mission that he was placed here for. Man, he talked about the exact thing that he was placed here for. And that's where he starts it. As the Son of God, he asked to be glorified. He asked that he would be glorified like the Father was glorified in the things that he had done. He wanted to return to the Father to the glory that he'd had before he come to earth as in the form of a, of a baby. He wanted the Father to be glorified, not for the purpose of getting credit for the things that he had done and the miracles that he had performed and all the things that he had done because he had directly related all that back to God. Everything that he had done, every miracle that he had performed, everything that he had done, he said, it's because of the one that sent me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything he did, he'd give credit back to God the Father. Not for his own sake, but because he wanted God to be glorified. He was a reflection of the Father. Amen? That's what Jesus is. He's the light. And we need to be a reflection of the light. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. When we we go to our Heavenly Father through the Son, we're asking anything to be accomplished in His name. When we lay it out, we're able to acknowledge God's glory as the primary goal of every request we make. When we, when we lift names up in prayer, when we pray in our prayer time, when we're lifting people up, what we want is for them to be touched by the Lord. What we want is for them, for God to intercede in their lives, but ultimately it is for the glory of God. When, when he heals somebody, when he touches somebody, when he changes somebody, it's not for their personal benefit, is it? It's for the glory of the Father. It's because God is in control, because He's sovereign, and we want Him to get the glory for the things that He does in our lives. When we're asking for success in our businesses, we want it to be for the glory of God. When we're asking for success in our relationships, in our marriages, in in, in our families, we want it to be for uh, for the benefit and the glory of the Father. Amen? That's what we want, it, we want it all to do. Now, let me just break some things down for you. Life on this earth is difficult. Have y'all figured that out yet? It's difficult. It's difficult to navigate through. We have to deal with sickness. We have multiple people in and out of the hospital. We have things that we're having to do. We have testing coming up. We have people concerned about the, the results of the test. I mean, life is difficult, and I'm sure I don't have to remind you about that. We live in a broken world full of broken people, and we deal with struggles and difficult situations every single day. There's not a day that goes by 
that we don't have to deal with something that's hard, something that's difficult, something that we have to, to ask God to help us to get through it. God has given us a task to fulfill while we're here on this earth, and it would be hard to imagine to accomplish that task if God didn't give us the tools to do it with, if he didn't walk alongside of us, if he didn't give us the Holy Spirit to come down, because that's what Jesus said. When I'm leaving here, the Holy Spirit's going to come down here and help you. Because you can't do it by yourself. And he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the followers. The first church is going to take place. But you can't do it by yourself. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. He's going to come inside of you. Those of you who invite him in. He's going to come to the disciples because you believed in me. But the thing is, is, from that point on, anyone who believes in him, the power of the Holy Spirit will come in. Because you can't do it by yourself. You think about how you would navigate through these struggles that you're dealing with without the Holy Spirit. Were. You just think about that for a second. Man, I couldn't get through it. I couldn't deal with the difficulties that I, that I have to deal with and the struggles that are in our lives if we didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Those people that don't have it, they struggle significantly. It's hard to imagine that, that God would not give us a, a tool to use such as prayer, some type of communication where we could go back to him and giving us his word so we could lean on his word. And we're going to dig into that word tonight, and that's going to be a very important part of our message tonight. Man, there's struggles all in the world. We need to have prayer, and we need to have the Word of God with us. How discouraging it would be to think that we were, he'd given us a task, and he just said, hey, I want you to go take care of this task without any help at all, and then leave us to do it on our own. Let me ask you this. An employee does not give his, his or her employee, an employer does not give his or her employee a job to do without providing them with the equipment that they need to do it with. Is that true? Man, all you people that, that are supervisors, all you people that are owners, when you have a job to do, when you have something that needs to get done, you have an employee to do it, you give them the equipment that they need to get it done. God has provided us with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us be successful in the tasks that he's given us. God has promised us that he would accomplish his work by himself. He didn't need us to do it. He's promised that he will get his job done. He will get the mission done. But he's asked us to come along beside him and join him in his mission. He's called us to join him in the mission that he has here on earth and to join him in heaven when this mission is complete. Therefore, let every goal that we pursue and every prayer that we offer up reflect the truth of God and the commitment that we have to share the gospel while we're here on this earth. This morning... We're going to open up God's Word yet and look at yet another example of Scripture where Jesus shows us the importance of prayer as He's praying for all believers to follow. If you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? John 17, starting in verse 20, says this, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, and that the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me, because of the world's foundation, before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have, they have known you that you have sent me. 
I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with with may be in them, which may be in them, and I may be in them as well. Pray with me, please. Father God, I just ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. When we look at these verses of scripture, there's a lot of information in there that I want to share with you this morning. But we're going to bring out three specific points out of this passage. I want to cover these three points in this, in this sermon this morning. And the points are things, if you want to write these down, it's the focus of prayer. Because there's a purpose and a focus of prayer. And Jesus focused each and every prayer that he made on a particular purpose, all right? So the focus of the prayer. Number two, the prayer of unity. And number three, the purpose of unity. And all these are things that we have been talking about over the last several, several months. The purpose of prayer, how important prayer is, the, the communication that we have, the tool that we have. Prayer is something that we have that, that Satan does not have. It's part of our arsenal. It's part of the way that we communicate with the Father. It's so important. And then there's, there's some unity issues, the prayer of unity. Unity is so important for the church. We need to be unified together. There will be some differences uh, minimal differences within the church itself, but basically we need to be unified within the, the body of believers. So let's look at this thing here, the focus of prayer. The primary focus of prayer is for God to be glorified. That's something that I've shared with you, and that's what you see in Jesus' prayer. He wants the Father to be glorified. So if you write that down, the primary focus of prayer is that God be glorified. In John 17, Jesus focused his prayer on the past, present, and the future. This is something that Patty and I talked about this morning. When we pray, we cover the past, present, and the future. When Jesus prayed, he talked about the past, the present, and the future. Many times we focus our prayer on the, the present and the future, and we often forget to acknowledge the past. We often forget to acknowledge what God has done in our lives, and we never want to forget that. The first thing we want to do in our prayer is acknowledge what he has done in our lives. Our prayers should always include our thankfulness for, for what God has done for us in the past. We want to make sure by focusing on the past, Jesus stated that he had glorified the Father on this earth. He had glorified the Father by the mission that he had been sent here to do. He is almost complete, but he glorified the Father. I have completed the assignment that you sent me here to do. I have shared the unconditional love that you have for me and that you have for, for all your children. I've completed everything that you've given me to do up until the cross. He revealed the Father to those he had given him. He said that and he showed God to those people all around him. He was God in the flesh. And he had revealed God. He had revealed his character. He had revealed his nature to all those people that he had come in contact with. Through his words, his teachings, his actions, Jesus had revealed the nature of God to the people that believed in him. And people that don't believe in him couldn't see God. But those that believed in him believed God and they saw God. Now let's look at a few things further. By focusing on the present, when he talks about the present, he stated that the hour had come to glorify the Father through the Son. 
mean, he had talked about that all the way up until this point. My hour has not yet come. In the present time, he talks about my hour has come. It's just about time for me to, to, to ascend back to heaven. It's about time for me to go to the cross. All that is talking about in the present. His work on earth was nearly complete. The cross was in sight. And he would be glorified through the Son. God would be glorified through the Son by the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make on the cross. And now we see in the latter part of John 17 when Jesus focuses his attention on the future. Man, he's looking into the future, what's about to happen and what's about to come. He begins to pray for those of us who live today. He's praying for the whole church that's going to start when he ascends into heaven. He's praying for the church today of all ages. We all appreciate when someone prays for us, and we talked about that earlier. It's awesome to know that Jesus Christ was praying for each of us at this point all the way to the cross. He prayed all the way up to the cross. We see that in, in the scriptures. There's a song that, uh, that Patty and I talked about this morning, but there was a song that, that my mother used to sing because my mother was a, was a, she had a vocal talent. You know, she didn't give me any of that talent, but she could sing. And, and, and just back in the day, and I can refer to back in the day because I'm old enough to talk about back in the day when they had accompaniment um, cassette tapes. Y'all remember those? Anybody know what a cassette tape is? You pop these things in a little karaoke machine or something, and you just sing away, right? And so she would get these accompaniment tapes, and she would sing. She loved to sing. And she'd sing a song, and the song that she sang was, When He Was on the Cross, I Was on His Mind. Y'all ever heard that song? She sang that song. Well, she taught that song to Laramie, my daughter, when she was little. Laramie had a karaoke machine, and she would stand up on the bed and built that song out. When he was on the cross, I was on his man. And I thought about that. You just think about it. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, when the nails were in his feet and in his hands and blood running down and the thorns on his head and, and exhausted from being whipped within an inch of his life, his human life, I was on his mind. He was thinking about Carrie in the pulpit on September the 3rd, 2023. You believe that? He was thinking about what's going to take place next week. He was thinking about each of us and what we're doing today. You can think about all the things that he's dealing with, and he's thinking about us, and he's praying for us while all the way up to this point. And it's amazing. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Before the cross, during the cross, and after the cross, Christ was thinking about you and about me. Number two, the prayer of unity. Jesus had already prayed for security and sanctity. He had already prayed for, his, his, for us to be secure, for us to be protected, for us to be set aside. And now he focuses prayer on unity, which is so important. His desire was that his people would experience the ritual, spiritual unity that, and the oneness that he and the Father had experienced. He wanted us to be one and the same, just like he was unified with the Father. And it's hard to believe that we could have that unity, but that's what he's asking for. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to be so close to him that we're so close to God. Let me tell you something. The closer you get to God, the sweeter it gets. Amen? It gets so sweet. It gets exciting, too. The closer you get to him, it'll get sweet, and it gets exciting. He wants to have that oneness. Christians may belong to different fellowships and different denominations, but we all belong to one Lord, the same Lord, and he's the same God that, had, that was there, that was God when Jesus was on the cross. The disciples had often exhibited some differences, opinion. I mean, you think about the disciples. I mean, in their times of, 
of even ministry and following Jesus Christ. Some of them had selfishness. They, there was competition amongst them. There was sometimes some disunity. They wanted to know who was going to sit at the right and who was going to sit at the left and who would be first to enter. And there was still some competition amongst the disciples. And you think about other followers of Jesus Christ, man. Look at the background of the disciples and all the followers. Some were fishermen and some were not. Man, a tax collector is as far from a fisherman as you can get. Amen? There's completely difference. And you think about people today that follow Jesus Christ, they were different then. They had different backgrounds. And that is the same thing today. Man, people are different today. People are different. We're all different. I wonder how Jesus feels about the condition of the church today when he looks into the church. And I'm not being critical of any church, but let me just tell you something. The word of God doesn't deviate so that people are comfortable. It doesn't deviate so that you're happy. I mean, the thing is, the Word of God is straightforward, and it, it, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And it, it cuts a lot of times, many times, more than you want it to cut. But you don't adjust the church to make people comfortable so that they go to church that makes them feel good. Number three, the purpose of unity. What, what is the basis of true Christian unity? When you look at it, what is the basis of true Christian unity? What is the basis of anything that we deal with? And that's Jesus Christ. Man, he was the model example of Christian unity. He was one that demonstrated it. He was the one that, that showed it to us. He had already given his, his glory to us, and it promises that he would further experience the glory that he had with us when we join him in heaven. And that's what's going to happen as we get through serving on this planet. When we get through serving the Lord where we are, we're going to join him in heaven, and that's where we'll have our glory together with him. All true believers have God's glory within them, no matter whether they look like on the outside, Christian harmony is not based on the externals. It's not based on how you look. It's not based on how much hair you have or don't have. It's based on the Holy Spirit coming inside of you and changing you on the inside. And when he changes you on the inside, there will be a change that reflects on the outside. Amen? You'll know it. You'll know when he comes upon you, you can't stand to not know it. All right? All true believers will know it. All right. We must look beyond the outside. And let's look at some things that are important. We've got to look beyond the outside of the elements of our first birth. And our first birth reveals our race, our color, all of our natural abilities that we have. You've got to look past all that because some people have more ability or less ability. You know, there's different differences with each of us. But we're all built to fellowship the same. And we're all believers and all children of the glory of God. Now, as believers, we already possess the glory that God has given us. And one day... We'll share beyond that glory and be in heaven. And as we grow closer to the Lord and glory within our lives, we begin to grow and reveal itself and we, what we say and what we do and the way we do it and the way we act and the things we do. People do not see us and glorify us. They see us as Christians and they glorify the Father based on what they see in us. Now, the thing is, is we want to be a reflection of God and because that's the way that he wants us to, to glorify him. One of the things that most impresses the world is the way Christians live and love each other. It's the way Christians live amongst each other. It's the unity that Christians have versus the disunity that, that many of them have. John 17, 21, Jesus says this, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. The lost people in this world cannot see God. They only see Christians. 
They can't see God because they don't know him. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They can't see him from a true understanding. The only way they're going to see him is to see a reflection of Jesus Christ through Christian actions and through Christian words. That's all they can see. They can't see him. What they see is in Christians. We need to be a reflection of the light. If they see love and unity, they'll believe God is loving and unified. If they see unconditional love, they'll believe that God has unconditional love. But it goes just the opposite, all right? If they see hatred and division, then they'll reject the message of the gospel. It's, it's an influential thing that we have to do. I mean, you've got to share what God wants us to share. Jesus assures us in John 17, 20, that some will believe because of our witness. Some will believe because of the way we live. Some will believe because of the way we act, the things that we do, and the, the lives that we live. But we must make sure that it's, our witness is true. We've got to make sure that it's genuine. It can't be artificial. It can't be superficial. You can see it through a lot of people. And you've got to make sure that it's genuine. Some Christians are prosecuting attorneys and they're judges and they're faithful witnesses. They're instead of faithful witnesses, and it turns lost sinners away from the Savior. So I want to give you five biblical reasons why believers should love one another and live in unity. And, and Haley can put that screen up. But there's five biblical reasons I want to share with you this morning that, that believers should use because of, of living in unity. And it starts with the word same. And you can write these down if you want to. Five reasons, all right? We trust the same Savior, and we share the same glory. The same Savior. It's the same one. He's, he's, there's only one sacrifice in Jesus Christ. We trust the same Savior. If we believe in Christ alone, and, and, and He is the one and only, the same Savior. We also uh, will enjoy the same heaven. There's only one heaven, and we'll have eternal life. Jesus promises eternal life, and we'll have the same Savior. If you believe in Jesus Christ, we'll all be in heaven together and have eternal life in heaven. Number three, we belong to the same Father, and we seek to do the same work that the Father has sent us here to do, and that is witnessing to the lost, sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world, and Jesus Christ alone saves us. We belong to the same Father. Number four, we believe the same truth. Even though we may have different views of minor doctoral beliefs and, and things, that doesn't change it. We believe in the same truth, that God's word is the inspired word of God, that it is the truth, that we bank everything on the truth. We believe in the same truth. And number five, we follow the same example that Jesus set for his people by living a holy life. Those are so important. Those are the five biblical principles that we need to make sure that we, we understand as far as living in unity. Without a doubt, believers do have their differences. Man, that's, that's inevitable, isn't it? We have differences, but sometimes we can agree to, to disagree, but we have to be much more, in, we have so much more in common than we have in differences. Now, this should encourage us to love one another and, and promote true spiritual unity. So let me ask you a question. How do we know Christians go to heaven? And this is something I want you to remember. There's three things that you can be specific to know that Christians go to heaven. And this is it. It's the price, the promise, and the prayer. When we look at those three things that Jesus talked about and that Jesus shared with us, those are the things that are important. Because of the price that Jesus paid, we know we can go to heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 says this. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him in heaven, that is the price, the promise of Jesus Christ made in John fourteen six, 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know the way to where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. And then John 17, 24, we just talked about that. The prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 24 says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Which basically means I want them to be with me in heaven. I'm going to ascend back to heaven. I want them to, to be with me in heaven so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Father always answers the son's prayers. I mean, he always answers Jesus' prayers. And you think about it, Jesus asked for us to be set aside. He asks us to be sanctified. He asks us to be with him. He asks us to, to be one with him, to be unified as a church. And God always answers his prayers. And so we know that believers who die go to heaven based on the scripture that we read. So hang in there. I'm almost done. I'm going to finish up in verses 25 and 26. We're going to look at some declarations that, that Jesus said. He didn't put petitions in these verses, but there's some declarations, a couple specifics that I want you to, to think about. Jesus simply reported to the Father about the ministry of the world, and he had made several declarations about the importance of that to us. First, he declared that the world does not know the Father. And you can look around today at the worldly things that take place, and you know that the world does not know the Father. They, they do not know him based on the things that they say and do, based on the things that they say are true, that are false. They do not know the Father. But as we believers know him because the Son has revealed the Father to us, we do know that, that there's a complete difference between the world and Christians. The world certainly has many opportunities to know God. And there's opportunity after opportunity to know him. And some people do come to know him because of Christian belief, because of Christian's action, because of the words and because of the, the love that Christians share. Some, some come to know him. Our task as Christians is to bear witness to a lost world and share the gospel and the saving message of Jesus Christ. Another de uh, declaration that's in this passage. Jesus declares the importance of truth and love to the church. Believers know God's name, which reveals his nature. And we even share that divine nature with other people. Jesus makes it clear that the truth <clears throat> must be shared and we must love each other. I mean, we must grow closer together. Look at a few things that are important. God always refers to an anatomical issues. He talks about the mind. He talks about the heart, the focal point. He says the mind grows by taking in the truth. Your mind expands and grows by taking in the truth. And the heart grows by giving the love out that, that the Holy Spirit has put inside of us, by reflecting light, by sharing God's love with other people. Knowledge alone can lead to pride, and love alone can lead to wrong decisions. But Christian love must not be blind. And I want you to, as you look back over this chapter, look back over chapter 17 as you review it and you read it and you study it about prayer, we need to reflect on four spiritual priorities that were in the Savior's heart. When Jesus is praying this whole prayer in John 17, there's four things that are very important that he talks about. And these are the things that I want you to make sure you remember. Early on, he talks about the glory of God. And how God is glorified throughout the prayer. And how he wants to glorify the God. How he wants the glory to reflect him and then reflect back to God. That's the first thing. The second thing, he talks about sanctity of God's people. 
how those that you have sent me, you set those apart for a reason. And you're thinking, well, is there a certain amount of people that God's sending? Let me tell you something. Everyone that comes to know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior is sanctified. They're set apart. Those are the ones that God has sent him. Number three, he talks about the unity of the church and how the church has to be unified together, how we have to be stronger in numbers, but how we have to reflect, the church has to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And then number four, the ministry of sharing the gospel with the lost and, world, lost and dying world. And we think about that. Have we ever talked about any of that stuff? And do you think about your mission outside of these walls? What is your purpose and what is your mission when you step outside the, the doors of this church? And that's to share the gospel. That's to share God's love. That's to make sure that we're a reflection of him. As believers, we should focus on the same priorities that Jesus had in John 17, and that's to glorify our Father in heaven. Now, one day, each of us will have to give an account for his or her ministry. Man, we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give an account of our life, which is our ministry. You know, what do we do with that life? And it's a solemn thought that we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give our final report. And what I hope that we can say, and what I trust that we can say, and when we look at Jesus as our model example, what I hope that we can all say is, Lord, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Amen? And that's what we want to be able to say when we're standing before him, say, I did what you sent me to do. And that's what Jesus did. That's what he's praying. I have completed the assignment that you sent me to do. And each of us is going to have to stand before him and either say, hey, you know, I I didn't do it like you wanted me to, or I did do it. I completed what you gave me to do. That's what we want to be able to share. There's no time like the present. I mean, it doesn't matter what the past looks like or where the past has been in your life. There's no time like the present to, to adjust it and do it and glorify the Father the way he wants us to do. Friends, our, our, our God loves us so much. He wants to have a relationship with us. And he's offered heaven as a free gift. Jesus Christ came to this earth for one purpose, and that was to, to be a sacrifice. I mean, he came to die. That was his purpose. It was a ministry for, for 33-plus years along the way. But the purpose he came was to die, and it was to die on the cross as a sacrifice for each of us. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the sweetest verse of Scripture in the Bible. That shows God's unconditional love. That shows how much he loves us. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man's a sinner. Man, we were born from sin. We, we, we inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve. It came down through the, the gene pool, and we were born with it, and we inherited a sinful nature. We needed a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God. God can't get to us through sin, and we can't get to him through sin. Something had to be placed in that path and in that spot so that we could have access to God, and that's Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He provided a a sacrifice on the cross for us so that we would have salvation and so that we could have eternal life with him in heaven. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I tell you that every week because it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter, you know, anything about you. It says in the Bible that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, friends, when our time is over in this world, and you look at every day, people are leaving and going, leaving this world, and we want to make sure they're all going to heaven. But the thing is, when our time is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and eternity is too long to be wrong. We're either going to be eternity in heaven with our Father and our Savior, 
or we're going to be eternally separated from him in hell. So this morning, I want to urge you, if you do not know and you're not certain where you're going to spend eternity, this is where we want to talk about it. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. If you're not 100% sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, we need to talk before this day is over. You need to make sure that you have secured your place in heaven, and it's very simple to do. All you have to do is, is repent, which is a change of the way uh, that you're living or change of the way that you're traveling. It's a 180-degree turn. You need to invite Christ into your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's just. He says he'll come in. All you got to do is invite him in, and then he makes a change in your life, and it's a radical change. Man, it's different than anything you've ever seen. He's struck just and he'll come into your life in a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation this time is always set aside just as we sing together that you can just meditate on the word that you can communicate with the father it's a vertical relationship that you have with god it's not it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing it doesn't matter what anybody else is thinking it's just strictly between you and the father this is a time when you want to make sure that if there's anything going on that you want to clear up, give it to him. Give it to him today. The, the altar's always open if you want to bring something to the altar. It doesn't have to be anything bad. People say, I don't want to go to the altar. People think there's something wrong in my life. Let me tell you something. You want to take something to the feet of Jesus, just bring it to the altar. Lay it there and leave it there because he says he'll take it from you. He'll take it on his shoulders. He wants to do that. Whatever the, the issue, whatever the need, this is a time that's set aside for you. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'll be down front. If you have a need for prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Our deacons will pray with you. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever the decision, just let the Holy Spirit move among us this morning. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises in you. And I thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the fact that Christ would just would stand before you and intercede on my behalf. And God, just, just say that that's my child. And I, wanna, I want you to do this for him. God, I want you to, to intercede for him. And I want you to touch his life.